Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Throughout this account then, um, you know, Job is in mourning, he's lost his children, he's lost property, he's lost all kinds of things. Uh, he has three friends that come, and they, uh, it, it's, it's kind of like they're sort of trying to comfort him, but really what they wind up doing is saying that Job must, um, he must, he must have done something wrong that God was cursing him in this way. And Job keeps trying to plead his, his innocence. And there's one thing that Job requests over and over again, and that is that if he could just plead his case before the Lord, if he could just, uh, you know, stand before the Lord and, and lay out the evidence or have the Lord lay out the evidence to him of, of why these things have happened, that's what Job asks for. And, of course, in the end of the book of Job, that's, that's what happens, really. The Lord shows up and, and uh, asks Job a lot of questions that Job doesn't have any answers to. And, and, you know, the point is that we may not always know what God's purpose is because we're not God. But here in Job 9, um, the verse 1, it says, Then Job answered and said. Now, the book of Job, most of it is uh, written as a, it wouldn't really be a dialogue because there's more than two people involved, but it's this conversation between Job and his friends, and they all sort of take a turn trying to get Job to fess up to what bad thing he did to make God do all these bad things to him. Uh, if, you, if you see at the end of chapter 8, uh, in, in verse 20, this is one of Job's friends named Bildad who says, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, neither will he help the evildoers, till he fill thy mouth with laughing and thy lips with rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Now, you know, what he says there is God's not going to cast away a perfect man. If Job is really, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't have any sin that he's paying for, uh, what Bildad is saying is that then why, why does it seem like God's cast him away? And you see, Job answers, uh, he's answering what Bildad just brought up in chapter 9, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? That's a deep question, isn't it? How should man be just with God? Uh, You know, Job, again, throughout this book, he's asking to plead his case before God. And yet you see there, he asks the question, "How, how can a man be just before God. Certainly a, a man can be considered just among other men, right? But how can a man be just with God? And Job, throughout this chapter, we're going we're gonna to read the whole chapter before we're done here. And when Job gets down to the end of the chapter, he doesn't realize that he's gotten the answer, but, but he has by the time you get to the end of the chapter. Um, you see, how should man be just with God? And that's, that's the most important question that a person can ask. Uh, you know, certainly there might be some, some other preliminary questions that might lead to that, things such as does God exist and, and that kind of thing. But uh, how should a man be just 
with God. We, we know by our consciences, we know that we're not, even, we're not even just by our own standards of righteousness, much less by God's standard of righteousness. And so here is, as uh, Job's friend says, look, God's not going to cast away a perfect man. Job is left with the question, that's, he says that's true, but, but how, can, how could anybody be found just with God? Verse 3, he says, if he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. If a man was going to, to argue with God, here Job, in spite of the fact that he keeps saying he wants to, wants to plead his case before God, here, here he says if somebody's going to contend with God, if a man is going to contend with God, he's not going to be able to answer him one out of a thousand. Of, of a thousand things that God would bring up, man can't answer one out of a thousand. In fact, I don't know how many questions God asks Job eventually when you get to chapter 38 and it's question after question after question. I, I doubt there's probably a thousand there listed, but Job doesn't have an answer for any of them. And, and here he says he wouldn't answer one of a thousand. Verse 4, he, talking about God, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? You see, you aren't going to win, you aren't going to win an argument with God and you aren't going to win a fight with God. God is mighty. God is, is uh, mighty in strength. There isn't anybody who's overpowered him. You can't outsmart God and you can't overpower God. Verse 5, Job says of God, which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun and it riseth not and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Here he describes some of the, just the, the natural power of God in creation and in, in, his, uh, in his control over creation. He describes uh, the Lord removing mountains, shaking the earth, uh, if God so desires, he can command the sun. It doesn't rise. You have accounts of that in the scripture where God did that. Um, not to mention the fact that he created the sun in, in the first place. Um, it describes how, how he spread out the heavens. When you go out and you look at those stars on a clear night and, and you see those stars and realize in, in a way possibly even greater than what Job understood how, how vast those distances are and to realize God did all of that. And not only that, he, he did it all with just just commanding it to be so. Uh, he it's not it's not that you know God had to had to uh, put I mean he put effort, but it wasn't that he had to put some some great effort into building all of those things. He simply declared it to be so, and it was. It describes the several of the uh, the constellations there: Arcturus, Orion, the Pleiades. Uh, Orion is one of the very few constellations that I can find in the sky because you look for those three stars in a straight line and that's the belt of Orion and from there you can find his head and his leg coming down and and uh, that's one of the few that, that I can find. But, you know, he points to those things. The Lord created all of those things. He does great things past finding out and he says, yea, and, and wonders without number. Not only that, verse 11 it says, Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, but I perceive him not. Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? 
Not only did he create all these things that, that you see, he says God can go right past you and, and you don't even see him. You don't even, you don't even comprehend him there. How could, you, how could you think to hinder God, to stop God in any way when you can't even comprehend what God is doing in, in the sense it describes there? He's done these great things out in creation that you can, you, know, you can learn a little bit about and comprehend some of the power of God. But then he does these things that you can't even see, you can't even comprehend. How could you hinder God? How could you even question him about what he does? Verse 13, if God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him, whom, though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge." And you see something here about the mind of Job. Sometimes if you read through the book of Job, you might, you might get a picture of Job of just being this proud man who thinks that he hasn't ever done anything wrong. And yet, you see, Job says, even if he were righteous, he wouldn't be able to answer God. He, he, he says, even if he was. So, so Job clearly doesn't think of himself as being perfect and righteous. He just, he just has questions. He's wondering, what, you know, what is God doing? How can this be just what God is doing in, in uh, causing all this sorrow for him? You see, you see, Job, when he says, yet would I not answer, when Job is wanting to speak before God, it's not that he's going to prove himself righteous before God, but you see, he says, I would make supplication to my judge. I would ask him to supply uh, the things that are lacking. He would, he would throw himself upon God's mercy if he could speak to him. Verse 16, he says, If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. What a, what, what a different attitude here from Job. And Job, by the way, is described in the Bible as being a, a man of faith. All right? He's, and, a, and a man of patience. Here Job says... Even He says, if, if I called, here's how Job views himself in relation to the greatness of who God is. He says, if I called on him to do something and it, and it actually happened, he says, if I had called and he had answered me, he says, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. Now, you know, some, some people view just about everything that happens in their life as, as somehow being an answer to their prayer to God. And, you know, uh, certainly in some cases that might be the case. But you see what Job's attitude is? He says, even if it seemed like God had answered me, I wouldn't even let myself think that I was important enough that God had even heard me. You see how Job views himself in, in relation there to the Lord God? He says in, in verse 17, For he breaketh me with a tempest, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Now, this relates back to what he, what he said at the beginning. He said, how, how would a man be found just with God? How would a man be just with God? Here he says, if I justify myself, my own mouth is going to be what condemns me before God. If I, by the way, the Bible has a way of defining its own terms. Uh, the word justify, a lot of people misunderstand a lot of passages in the Bible because they don't, they don't have in their mind a right definition of the word justify. 
all right? And you see here, it, it defines it here. Job repeats himself. Um, he says, if I justify myself. And then in the second half of the verse, he says, if I say, I am perfect. To, for a person to justify themselves is to set themselves forth as being perfect, right? For somebody to justify themselves. Now, for God to justify someone is for God to justify or, or set them out as being perfect. Right? To, to justify, uh, many people would define the term as to make righteous. Now that'll work in some of the verses that talk about justification, but really the word justify means to declare righteous. And that may not seem like a big difference to you, but it's very different in certain passages. Certainly here, when, um, when, when Job is talking about justifying himself, he doesn't have the power to make himself righteous. That's, that's evident from the verse. But he's saying, if I were to declare myself, if I were to make this claim that I am righteous, he said it would be my own mouth that condemns me. Now, uh, verse, verse 21, he says, Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore, I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now my days, he says, are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. And some of that he's responding to the things that Bildad had said. Um, and, and basically the point of all of Job's friends is that God rewards those that are good and he punishes those that are bad. Therefore, if bad things are happening to Job, then he must, he must be bad. He must have done something bad. And Job's response is, look out at the world around you. How often do you see the wicked are prospering? Right? He says, he says he's put the, um, the earth, he's given the earth into the hand of the wicked. Doesn't it seem that way sometimes? You look out at, at the earth and, and, you know, Christ said that the meek will inherit the earth. That's certainly not today, is it? Uh, here we can say with Job that God's given the earth into the hand of the wicked. And we see how the innocent die right along with those that would deserve it, right? And, and that's what Job's pointing out. He's, he's pointing this out to these friends of his, that bad things don't just happen to, to uh, the wicked, um, you see, it describes how the innocent are, are right there with the wicked and, and how these wicked often prosper. It seems as if they've been given the earth. Here, is, as Job looks at his life, he talks about how his days have passed away when he says that they're swifter than a post. Um, a, a post would be, we get the word postal from that, or the post office. Uh, you know, somebody who's sent with a message, they're sent with a dispatch, and, and they ride out as fast as they can to deliver that message. Job here says that his days are passing away faster than that. Um, we, I don't know, we today might not, might not compare, uh, you know, a post to being something fast, but Job did. Uh, of course, they're a lot faster in our day than they were in Job's day, so, <laughs> so you can, you can uh, be glad of that. Uh, he talks about his day, how his days are fleeing away. He says in verse 26, they're passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. Now, we're coming down here close to the end of the chapter, and I want you to pay close attention. Verse 27, 
Job says, if I say, I will forget my complaints, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Now here when he's, when he's talking in, you know, he's talking to thou, he's not speaking to the Lord, but he's speaking to his friends. Here he says that uh, if, he says, Let, let's just say I give up my complaint. His complaint here is that these things are happening to him unjustly. Right? He says, let's say I just, I just give up my complaint. I just try to comfort myself. You guys are still going to make me out to be a, a wicked man. Right? He says, he says, thou will not hold me innocent. He said, if I could, if I could take snow water. Now you think about in their day where they got most of their water. It was not a very clean thing. But if you could take some snow and melt that, that would be clean water. That was the cleanest water available to Job. He said, if I could clean myself with that, what you guys would do is you'd throw me down in the ditch and my, and my clothes would be filthy. Right? So, so he says, I can't even give up my complaint. I can't just be, just be content with my lot, with everything I've lost, because here even his friends are accusing him of some, of some wickedness, some evil. He says in verse 32, speaking of God, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Here, Job laments the fact. First, he says, God's not a man as I am. He can't come here before me as a man and, and you know, speak man to man and uh, Job answer him and, and the two of them coming together in judgment. And he laments the fact that he says there's no daysman. Now, a daysman is like a mediator. It's someone who's going to come between two parties and, and be the go-between between them. And you see what, what Job says would be the requirement of such a daysman that he might lay his hand upon us both. You see, if someone's going to be a mediator, they have to be able to relate to both parties. They have to be able to relate to, to you know, both sides in that conflict. Here, for someone to be a daysman here that Job says there isn't one, it would have to be someone who can lay hold upon deity and lay hold upon humanity. And that's where you see that this passage has to do with this, this uh, time when we celebrate the birth of the Lord. Because Job has hit on the answer to the question that he asked at the beginning, how shall a man be just with God? How could a man ever be just with God? Because there's no daysman, there's no mediator that can lay hold upon deity and lay hold upon humanity and be the go-between between the two of them. You see, Job, Job says if he could do that, he could plead his case before God, and he says, then I would speak and not fear him, but he says, it's not so with me. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Lord Jesus Christ is that daysman that Job was looking for and is the answer to Job's question, how shall a man be just with God? You see, there's a, there's a conflict between man and God that requires mediation. It requires a, a go-between. God created this, this world and this universe and he pronounced it good. 
but in giving some of his creatures the ability to to choose, to choose between right and wrong, to choose between good and evil, we see with, with the first man, it didn't take very long before Adam goes into sin. And because of Adam's sin, that sin is, is passed on really to all of the creation and certainly to all of Adam's offspring, you and I. And there's a, there's a conflict there between the, the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man. And there's a separation that takes place. God told Adam and Eve that the day they ate of the fruit, they would surely die. Now, they didn't fall over physically dead the day they ate of the, tr- the fruit, but they did die that day. They were separated from the life of God. They became alienated from it. And there, there wasn't a way, um, or there wasn't an evident way here in Job's mind, that there was anybody who could overcome that gap between them. God, because of his holiness and justice, he couldn't come down to the level of man, and man, because of his sinfulness, couldn't come up to the level of God. And there was, a, there was a, a gap there, a chasm between them. But the daysman that Job was looking for was provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation and being born into this world, being fully God and fully man, he qualifies to be the one that Job was looking for. He qualifies to be the one that can lay his hand upon us both. He's... Fully God, again, the unique, a unique person in all of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't half God and half man. You know, you can read in pagan mythology about, about uh, you know, these, these philandering false gods and, and their demigod children, right? That's not what the Lord Jesus Christ was. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God. He never gave up any ounce of his deity and yet fully man at the same time. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and notice what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, if you or I were to try and make ourselves be equal with God, that would be robbery. We would be robbing God of something that is due exclusively to Him. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who truly was God, it was not robbery for Him to be equal with God. But despite that, despite that He was in the form of God, despite that that He was equal with God, verse 7 says, But He made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, when, when uh, Mary became pregnant with the Lord, when he was conceived in her, there was something conceived into this world that had never existed before. You know, you had had man in the world from Adam on, and you had had God from eternity past, But here was God in human flesh. God in human flesh, born into this world, taking upon himself that form of a servant. 
And not only was he born into this world, I mean, for him to come into the world as, you know, as a, as a human ruler would have been a step down, an infinite step down from the glory he had with God before the world began. But he came into the world not as a human ruler, but as a human servant. He became a servant of the very creation that he himself made. It says that verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, it says he humbled himself. Um, even after he was found in fashion as a man, that's, that's being humbled already. He humbled himself even more and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the, the Lord Jesus Christ in being born into this world, it wasn't to give us an excuse to give presents to each other. Uh, it wasn't to, you know, to be that cute little baby in the, in the manger that we could set up nativity scenes and that kind of thing. But he came into this world to subject himself to his own creation. He became identified with man. And even more than just being that mediator, he beca- became the actual sacrifice for the sin of the world. And it, it tells us in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him, made Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, when you look at that, you know, pictures and images of that little baby in the manger, that little baby in the manger didn't have any sin. That little baby in the manger, not only did it not have any sin of its own, it didn't even have a sin nature. You and I, you know, when, when uh, we were born into this world, we maybe looked innocent. Maybe some of you didn't, I don't know, but some of you probably looked innocent, but you had a sin nature that was just completely wicked and corrupt, right? Just took enough time and that became evident. Um, But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world without that sin nature, and it says that he knew no sin, and yet he was made to be sin for us. When Christ hung on the cross of Calvary at the other end of his earthly life, when Christ hung on that cross of Calvary, he became guilty for your sin and my sin. He paid the price that was due to God's justice. And you see, it says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Job asked, how shall a man be just with God? There you see it. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, paying for his sins and, and you know, making that payment that satisfies God's justice. And the scripture promises to all those who trust in him, not to those who are religious, not to those who do lots of good works, not to those who you know, work really hard to improve themselves and do lots of good things, but rather uh, it says to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And if you've never received that gift of eternal life, and it is a gift, it's not something you work for, it's not something you earn. You see in Job's statements there in in, uh, Job chapter 9, he said even if he were righteous, he couldn't answer before God. Even if he were perfect, he said he couldn't know his own soul and he'd despise his own life. You You can't get righteous that way, but when you come to God as an ungodly sinner but believing on Christ who was made to be sin for you, God says he'll give you eternal life as a free gift. Something you can't, you can't earn and something you can't lose because you didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to, to have it taken away either. All right? A free gift of eternal life. And if you've never received that gift of eternal life, there's no better gift that you could receive uh, this, this 
season, this time of year, this day, than to receive the gift of eternal life. There's no, there's no gift that might be waiting at home or, or under the Christmas tree or anything like that that compares to the gift of eternal life. The scripture calls it an unspeakable gift. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a gift that you can put in a box and, you know, and unwrap and, and open it up, but it's a gift that you receive by faith. It's, a, it's, a, uh, you know, it's not a physical thing that you can receive in that way. But God says if you'll, if you'll trust what Christ did in paying for your sins, if you'll trust what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, you'll have the gift of eternal life. And I want to just close there with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gift. We thank you that your son came into the world without giving up a, a single bit of his deity and yet taking on him the form of perfect humanity. We thank you that he can be that daysman, that mediator that can lay his hand on you and who you are and also lay his hand on us. We thank you that through him, we can have an answer to that question that that Job asked, how shall a man be just with God? And we know that we can only be just with you through what your son accomplished. We thank you in his name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.